to mention about this uh, letter which we've done. Um, I guess you're all aware that we've had a lot of uh, really nasty anti-Semitic and anti-Israel things going on in this city. Uh, demonstrations in central London, occupations of uh, train stations and tube lines and people chanting uh, very offensive slogans against Israel and Jewish people. And a lot of Jewish people feeling really afraid about what's happening and saying... Uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which means actually the end of Israel, uh, saying make an end of the Jewish state. Uh, bomb Tel Aviv was one I heard. Um, it's making many Jewish people around here very nervous, naturally. And rightly so. Um, I heard of a Jewish man who went down to central London and got sort of in the middle of some of the Jewish, some of the demonstrators. They asked him if he supported Israel. He said yes, and they beat him up. And that just shows you the kind of spirit we're up against. And one has to say, it's getting a bit risky to stand by Israel. Uh, you know, you can find yourself in difficult circumstances. The talk I did last week, um, which had quite a lot about Israel, Gaza, etc. We've had about 2,000 hits on the Bridge website, about 200 on the Light for Last Days website, which is good. Um, been advertised on Twitter and on Facebook, and one doesn't know whether all the people who've tuned in are friends or foes. But, you know, when we stand for Israel, we're actually causing the enemy to get antagonistic. And we need to pray that, uh, you know, God can give us strength and wisdom and protection. I'll just read what I put on this letter. There are copies on the table there, so you can take and give to any Jewish friends or people you meet around the streets. Probably best not to give them to people demonstrating against Israel. But it says, we were deeply shocked and saddened by the terrible attack on Israel on the 7th of September, October. We extend our deepest sympathy to Israel and Jewish people who've been cruelly attacked by Hamas terrorists. We're saddened by the suffering on both sides as a result of this war which has been caused by those who want the destruction of Israel. We join with many Christians who are praying for Israel's safety and that this war will not spread further. We're appalled at the anti-Semitism and hatred for Israel being expressed on the streets of London and in social media. We believe the scriptures which tell us that God will restore and keep Israel. Jeremiah 31, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare it in the hours afar off. Say he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as the shepherd does his flock. And Psalm 121, behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. We commit ourselves to stand by Israel and the Jewish people at this time, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Seek to inform our people of the real issues behind the conflict in the Middle East and resist the anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism that's spreading in our land. Then there's a Jewish prayer at the bottom. O say shalom bim ramav, hu yaseh shalom aleinu, ve'akol Israel, ve'emru, amen. May he who brings peace to the heavens bring peace to us and to all Israel, and let everyone say amen. amen. So that's, it's not, I mean, I notice there I haven't put the gospel into that, and sometimes if you just give that, it can be an opener with Jewish people, but um, I think Chris is going to give out some this week, and maybe one or two others. So if you want to take some and pass them around, please do, and pray for people in this neighborhood as well as we pray for Israel that God will protect them in this present time. Um, the big thing to pray for Israel is that Hezbollah in the north doesn't get involved. Uh, 
I, read, I just heard on the news that there is some increase in the activity there. If they get involved, then you're in a much bigger war than we have right now. And Israel is making some advances in Gaza, and they want to have a ceasefire. A uh, report I did have said that they are finding ways to locate and to close down the tunnels and making progress on this, and Hamas is, and all their supporters are crying out for a ceasefire, so they'll stop doing that. But if they do, then they'll just regroup, and basically Israel has to carry on. It's a nasty business, and a lot of people are getting suffering in the way. But if they don't, then Hamas will just regroup and start again. So let's just have a word of prayer, and then we'll pray for the Bible study tonight beyond Isaiah. So, Lord, we do commit Israel to you, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray that you protect the borders of Israel, the people of Israel. We pray, Lord, that Hamas will be vanquished, and also that Hezbollah will not get involved. We pray for the border on the north, that it will not become another war zone. Uh, I know there's already some fighting there, but we know that there will be massive suffering if, if they start raining down missiles from the north, and Israel gets involved in attacking Lebanon. So we just commit that situation to you, Lord. We pray that you would come against the powers of darkness that would seek to bring the whole area into terrible carnage and war. And we pray you have mercy upon the people, both Jewish and Arab, on both sides who are suffering already, and that you would save souls in the midst of this darkness and bring people out of the darkness of Islam, out of the darkness of uh, Talmudic Judaism, uh, into the light of the gospel in Yeshua. Jesus the Messiah. And we pray you bless our reading and study of your word now. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 I'm going to read from Isaiah 51. If you have your Bibles, if you could find it, you probably won't be putting stuff on the... Are we putting it? Oh, you are putting it up. Okay. Right. If you've been coming for a while, you may know that I've been rather slowly going through the book of Isaiah. Uh, we have reached now chapter 51 and 52. And we're very much on the brink of doing the famous chapter 53, but we won't be doing that tonight. One of the things which I said is that the book of Isaiah is a remarkable book. It's the longest uh, one of the prophets, 66 chapters, divided into two halves. The first 39 chapters are very much Old Testament in tone. They deal with the situation at the time of Isaiah. He's prophesying about the Assyrians coming against Israel and Judah, and he speaks to his generation mainly, has also some prophecies within it. From chapter 40 onwards, it's looking much more into the future, uh, looking at the time when the Jewish people will be taken into captivity in Babylon and their return from Babylon. Uh, but also in the context of that, he has a great deal to say about the Messiah, uh, and it's very much New Testament in turn. And it's just interesting but coincidental that there are 39 chapters in the first part of Isaiah, which is Old Testament in tone, and there are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 chapters from 40 to 66 in Isaiah, uh, which is more New Testament in tone, and there are 27 books in the New Testament. There you are. But one of the things also which you notice in chapters 40 through to 53 is there's a great deal of emphasis on the servant of the Lord. Uh, in some of the passages, many of them, it's speaking about the servant of the Lord as Israel, as the servant, and yet the servant who's in a way failed to be the true servant of the Lord and has missed the boat, if you like, on some matters. And it points then to four passages which speak about the ideal servant who is the Messiah. 
And Isaiah has the most vivid and powerful prophecies which speak about the prophecies of the Messiah fulfilled in the person of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And this passage we're going to look at tonight actually leads up to the most famous one, Isaiah 53. And we're going to read from 51, verse 9, through to 52, verse 12. 51, verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in ancient days and the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they should obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? and of the Son of Man who will be made like grass. And you forget the Lord, your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. You have feared continually because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord, your God, who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord, the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the, of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There is no one to guide her among all the sons that she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand. Among all the sons she has brought up, these two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword, by whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I've taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it, but I will put it in the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body on the like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on the, your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, this holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you, Shake yourself from the dust, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you've sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. And thus says the Lord, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there, then the Assyrian oppressed them without a cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks, behold it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, with their voices they shall sing together, and they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, 
For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear, bear the vessels of the Lord. You shall not go out with haste, nor go out with, by flight. For the Lord your God will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Praise the Lord. The theme of that passage is very much uh, a contrast between Israel in affliction and Israel in redemption being carried out of Babylon and brought back to the promised land. And as such, it can speak to Israel. It can also speak to us because at some time in our lives, we've been in affliction. Or have you? I don't know. But you've been in a state where you've been separated from God and you've been distressed. Then you come to the Lord and you found peace and deliverance and redemption through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So all of these prophecies, they speak on one level to Israel. They also speak to God's people, the church, uh, the true church of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, from Isaiah 40 onwards, the theme in the passage is the captivity in Babylon. Jewish people were taken to Babylon uh, by forces of Nebuchadnezzar, became captives in Babylon for a period of 70 years. And the reason which was given in the scriptures is because they had broken away from, they'd taken away from God's commandments, not kept his laws, and were now under his judgment and were taken to Babylon as a corrective process before they would come back again and then uh, re rebuild Jerusalem, which is what this passage here is about. And it can also speak about redemption from spiritual captivity. And it reaches its climax in the passage I didn't read today, which is Isaiah 53, which is the most important chapter, which we'll look at another time, which has the most specific uh, prophecies concerning the Messiah, uh, fulfilled in Yeshua, in Jesus the Messiah, who came to redeem us and to bring us into the presence of God, that we might know God through his blood, through his sacrifice, uh, through him bearing the sin of the world upon himself. Now, if you were paying attention to the reading, you may have noticed that the phrase, awake, awake, occurs actually three times in the reading which we just gave. Uh, in verse 9, and later in verse uh, 17, and in verse 1 of chapter 52. So let's have a look at those three awakes. Um, first one, it says, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, Awake, as in ancient days, in the generations of old, are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? So it's calling them to awake to the Lord, and the Lord to, it's actually calling the Lord actually to awake and to put on his strength. It speaks about the arm of the Lord. And we can see that in this passage, he's saying uh, that God is there, God is alive, God is the real God who made you not like the false gods of Babylon, not like the gods which you bowed down to before you went to Babylon. He's the true God. And if you call on the name of the Lord God, he's the one who's going to be able to redeem you. He's your maker. He's the true God, one you can trust in. He's much greater than your oppressor. And he's calling here for the Lord himself to awake, to put on strength. And it mentions here the arm of the Lord. Now, the phrase the arm of the Lord is a phrase which is interesting because uh, it occurs several times in the scripture. In Hebrew, it's Zeroah Adonai. And the arm of the Lord is used for God's strong arm. So if you're in a place of captivity, you want someone who's strong to take you out. And God's arm is revealed as being the strong arm which is able to redeem his people, but also to bring judgment upon his enemies. 
So it's both protective and it's also bringing deliverance from those who will come against you. Interestingly, we will look at one verse from Isaiah 53, because in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So that's about the Messiah. So it actually is connecting the Messiah with the arm of the Lord. So the one who actually came visible and came amongst us to dwell with us is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and he's the one who's able to, by his strength, to redeem us. Also, if you look in this passage, you'll see that it has several references to taking the people of Israel out of Egypt. Um, talks about rescuing the people from Egypt. And when you go back to Exodus chapter 6, one of the things which it says there, the Lord says, I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. So the strong arm of the Lord was manifested in the exodus from Egypt and either saving Israel or protecting Israel from their enemies and judging them. And if you look at this passage, you've got several references to the exodus. It speaks about the arm that cut Rahab in pieces. Uh, Rahab is a phrase which is used sometimes of Egypt. So the arm which cut Rahab in <coughs> pieces and wounded the serpent. Serpent obviously refers to Satan and the power behind the false gods of Egypt which kept Israel in captivity. And again, when we come to faith in Yeshua, in Jesus the Messiah, he delivers us from the false gods and from the power behind the false gods, which is Satan, and takes us out from being under his control into the place of being under the Lord's control. In the passage also, it speaks about the Lord drying up the sea, making the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to pass over which is what happened in the Exodus. The Lord dried up the sea. There was a way which was impossible. As the Israelites came to the Red Sea and they were, had Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, no hope. What can we do? We're trapped. And only if God intervenes can they come out of that trap. And sometimes we find ourselves in a situation which looks impossible and we can't see any way out and we cry out to the Lord and he makes a way where there is no way. And God dried up the sea and one of the greatest miracles in history recorded in the Bible, how the Red Sea parted and the children of Israel went through on dry land. And Isaiah is specifically referring to that as an example of what God has done in the past. He's telling the Jews today that he's going to do the same for you to get you out of Babylon and return you back to Jerusalem where you came from. <clears throat> and he's able to do what he did in the past again. So it tells us also that our God is a miracle-working God. He's not just an idea in our heads. He's an active God who we can call upon, and God is able to do miracles on behalf of his people. We may face situations which we find impossible, but God will make a way which will make it possible. The scripture in the uh, Corinthians where Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And maybe you can look back at situations in your life where God has delivered you out of a situation which was difficult or impossible, but he's done it because he's a living God who's able to do that. And God wants us to have that faith in him because there's a greater power in those who believe in the Lord, have God within them, than all the power of the enemy round about us. Uh, the other day, we were watching the, all the demonstrations down in central London and I think Barbara felt a bit sort of fearful and overwhelmed at seeing all these people gathering together and praying out to their God, to Allah, 
and a really powerful force of evil. And thought just came to me, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's a greater power in one little believer in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, than all the powers of darkness which are around about us. And so although these things can be quite fearful and you can feel intimidated by the rise of evil and all the things around about you, remember that you've got a greater power in you than all the power of the evil one in the world around you. <clears throat> and they may get a lot of attention from the world, but not from God. Those who trust in the Lord will experience redemption and a return to him. And that's what this passage is talking about. He's telling the Jewish people, you're going to return. Verse 10, are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to trust over, so the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy in their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Promise of the return from Babylon to the land of Israel. And God says he wants to comfort you, to strengthen you with this thought. And to strengthen you because he is the, God, the Lord God, your maker. And don't be afraid of a son of a man, it says, who will be made like grass. Uh, and one of the things we think about when you think about God, if you're calling on God, you're talking about God who's always been there. There's never a moment in the whole of eternity that God hasn't been there. He's there from the end, beginning to the end. He's there now. He's the creator. He made you. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He knows all about our situations. And he's able to minister to us and to help us in our needs. So don't be afraid of a man who's going to die, who doesn't know really anything in comparison with what God knows. And that's why we can say that there's a greater power on our side than the power of all the evil one round about us uh, because God is with us and he's the one who made us. So the first awake, it's a call to, actually begins with God to awake, uh, to put on his strength, to put on his strong arm and to deliver his people. Let's go to the second awake, awake, verse 17. It says, awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury, you've drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. Uh, speaks about no one to guide her. Verse 19, these two things have come to you who will be sorry for you, desolation and destruction, famine and sword, by whom will I comfort you? So that's a bit of more of a negative message, if you like. could be quite depressing to just read that on its own. God is saying, uh, Jerusalem, stand up. You've already drunk at the hands of the Lord his judgment. And remember, this is speaking to Israel now in captivity in Babylon. Remember that captivity wasn't just a kind of historical accident. It was part of God's discipline of his people because they turned away from him and were worshipping other gods. Message which is also pretty relevant to Israel today because one of the reasons I believe why Israel is in such trouble all the time is because they're not worshipping the true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And many are worshipping other gods. Even Talmudic Judaism is not worshipping the true God of Moses, it's adding things to it. So we have to come back to the real God. And if we're not in the place of the real God, then he allows destruction and desolation to come. And that's what happened in the days when Israel was taken into captivity. They drunk the cup of fury of trembling, which brought desolation, destruction, famine, and the sword, says. Said there was no one who was able to guide them. 
No one was sorry for her. They're in a miserable state of captivity. You ever felt like that? Sometimes. And sometimes we find that we're in a miserable state when we feel captive to the enemy. No one's there to guide us. No one feels sorry for us. We feel on our own. And it's all desolation and destruction. And sometimes when you, you look on people's faces today, you can just see they're looking down. They're defeated. Sometimes you sit on the tube and you look at people's faces. They all look sort of miserable, to be honest. And uh, maybe we don't look cheerful all the time, but there is a kind of light if you have come to know the Lord. You know that there's some light in people's lives. But without God, then people are, are actually desolate and defeated. Don't have anyone to guide them. And many of them have no one to feel sorry for them. And you have people who are lonely and suffering alone because they are alone and in desolation. And God wants to take us out of this, lift us up, to be seated with the Messiah in heavenly places. Uh, going on in this passage, it tells you to, to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, in the next one, it speaks about rejoicing. So turning from being in a place of affliction to being in a place of rejoicing, taking you out of the dunghill into being seated with God in heavenly places. And that's what God's able to do for us as we believe in Jesus. He can take us out of the lowest place and take us up to the highest place to be seated with Christ, with Messiah, in heavenly places. If you look at your life, I look at my life, I could say, where would I be without Jesus today? I don't know if I'd even be still alive. But you can see that God has taken us out of something which was dark and in bondage and desolate and brought us into a new place, a place where we have a relationship with the living God living God who loves us enough to die for us to pay the price for our sin and to redeem us and bring us into a relationship with God and in the New Testament we have a number of passages which tell us about just what we have in, in Yeshua uh, in Jesus think of Philippians chapter 4 Philippians 4 verse 4 says rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And that's a promise to us that God wants us to rejoice in all circumstances. Be anxious for nothing. And bring everything to the Lord with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I think the with thanksgiving is also important. Sometimes people are always asking God for things, but they're never thanking God for what he's already done for us and thanking for God for our position already in the Messiah and thanking God that he's with us always. He's promised to be with us always and never to forsake us. And he wants to give us his peace, even in the midst of difficult situations, because he's with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. And you can see we go through the New Testament examples of people who were in difficult situations and praise the Lord and got through them with victory through faith in the Messiah. Probably the best-known one is in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are taken and uh, beaten with rods and thrown into prison and put in the stocks. And in that situation, you probably expect them to be pretty, pretty desolate, feeling that nobody cares about them, feeling that they've done everything for God, and now he's let them down and put them into prison and be moaning at God and saying, why have you allowed this to happen to me? Do you think that would be a pretty normal response? Yeah, would, wouldn't it? Was that their response? No. Let's see what happens. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 20. 
And they brought them, that's Paul and Silas, to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. When they laid many stripes on them and threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Wonderful story, isn't it? Imagine how they overcame through prayer and praise, worshipping the Lord in that difficult situation. I think I gave a talk on that way back in the middle of the COVID time, at the beginning of the COVID time. So don't sit down if you're sorry and moan. Lift up your voice and praise God, even if you're in uh, prison and not able to go out and feel the horrible kind of oppressive thing which was coming upon us all during that COVID time, which really was oppressive. <laughs> uh, but in the midst of it, God calls us to praise and to worship him and to lift up his name and to know the victory through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, then all the prison doors were opened. Uh, So the prison doors which would hold us in in captivity are opened as we sing praise and worship to the Lord. Which is really what the theme is here in in Isaiah about the people who are in that place of desolation and and destruction, then praising the Lord and being brought brought out into a relationship with God and into the freedom from captivity. Which brings us on to the third awake. Awake, awake, put on your strength. Chapter 52, verse 1. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Call to Jerusalem to put on strength and beautiful garments. Uh, In a way, this is looking beyond the Even the return from Babylon is looking to the final redemption uh, after the tribulation at the second coming. In the final redemption, then the unclean will no longer be allowed into Jerusalem. They'll no longer be allowed into heaven, in the new heavens and new earth. They'll be released from oppression and called to loose the bonds from your neck, from slavery, from captivity. It says also here that you were sold for nothing. You sold yourself. And Basically, he's saying here that your captivity was actually your choice. You chose to be in captivity because you sold yourself to do evil. You sold yourself to go away from God. And often people say, why doesn't God do something to help me? And God's saying, actually, you've got to put things right first yourself. There are things which you have to put right so that you're no longer selling yourself to do what is wrong, to do evil. You're selling yourself, you're buying yourself back to the Lord so that you can now do what is right in his sight. And they sold themselves to do evil because of sin. And just as we can be seen as 
enslaved to the captivity of the evil one. And sometimes in the scriptures, uh, the idea of redemption in the New Testament is seen as uh, paying the price of a slave so that he can be redeemed and brought back uh, into freedom. So we are all as slaves uh, to sin before we come to faith in the Messiah. Jesus has paid the price so that we can be set free from that and brought into freedom through faith in the Messiah. Um, it also says in here that no, you were redeemed without money, uh, which means that they didn't actually pay a price to be redeemed. But if you look in the following chapter, you see that it wasn't without cost. The redemption actually cost God in the person of Yeshua, the Messiah, the biggest sacrifice of all. When he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was put upon him. By his stripes we are healed. For we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. So though our redemption can't be bought with money, it, it didn't, it's, not, it's free, but it's not cheap. It costs the Messiah, it costs God. In the person of Yeshua, the Messiah, that amazing sacrifice when he paid for us on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. Which leads us on to the good news. Verse 7, it tells us how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What's the good news? Well, ultimately, the good news is the gospel, isn't it? Uh, in Hebrew, it's Besorah, Besorat Yeshua HaMashiach, the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, uh, which speaks of the good news of redemption through the blood of Jesus. In the context here, he's speaking about good news of redemption from Babylon and coming back to Jerusalem. The Lord bringing them back, bringing them back because of the covenant which he made with their fathers, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bringing them back to the land that he promised to Abraham. And even if they're scattered, they're going to return, and the waste places are going to be rebuilt. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to return to the Lord and to his word. And you can see that all that came to pass. They were Cyrus, the king of Persia, made an edict that the Jews could return from Babylon, go back to Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem. In time, they began to build the temple, had a few hiccups on the way, but they got there in the end. And one of the important things which happened, if you read in Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 8, is that as they returned, Ezra read to them from the Torah. And they spent actually a whole week in which Ezra read the Torah to the people as they returned. So what was, he was doing that for was to say that as you return now, you've got to return not just to the land, but also return to the Lord. You've got to keep God's word, got to keep his commandments. You've got to do what God says. If you go your own way, if you do what you think is right, then the same thing's going to happen to you again. So Ezra laid a foundation of faith in God and faith in the word of God. In a way, that's what's lacking in modern Israel. Israel's gone back to the land, but they've not gone back in faith, either in even the Hebrew scriptures, and certainly not in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And part of the conflict you have now is between the secular, the religious, and the attempt to find a way, but in the end, what God is saying is you've got to believe in the new covenant through Yeshua the Messiah. And the present troubles which are coming upon Israel will actually get to the point, if you follow through prophetic scriptures, when they look upon me whom they have pierced, that's Jesus, and mourn for him as for an only son, and then build on the foundation of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, 
at his return. But that's kind of the story. It's not just coming back from one place to another. It's coming back from captivity, coming back to the Lord. And that applies to us as well, of course. You know, we can come back, we can believe in Jesus, and then having believed in Jesus, we just carry on living our lives pretty much like we were before. That's not good. That doesn't work. God wants us to have a changed life. He wants us now to build our lives upon his word, on obedience to his word, and keeping his commandments. And so as we come back from captivity, God wants us to bring us back to salvation and redemption through Yeshua to live a new life under his control and to keep his word, to keep his commandments. And it's possible through the Holy Spirit. And the good news, of course, is the good news of the gospel. And we find that this verse is repeated in uh, Romans and in other parts of the New Testament, speaking of the preaching of the good news through Yeshua, the Messiah, proclaiming salvation, proclaiming Yeshua, which is the Hebrew word for salvation. And <clears throat> says also, the Lord has redeemed his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made known, bear his holy arm, verse 10. In the eyes of all the nations, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So the Lord has brought back his people from Babylon, but he also wants to see the salvation of our God. And as God brings us back from captivity, he wants to bring us to see the salvation of our God in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And the ends of the earth, so that also tells us that the plan of God goes beyond Israel to the nations, and that through the good news, through Jesus the Messiah, he's going to bring the good news of the gospel to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile and to the ends of the earth. And we can give thanks to God that here we are in what, from the prophet's point of view, would be the ends of the earth. Uh, now, we might think London's a pretty important city, but in the days of the Bible, it was just a marsh. <laughs> and it was just a place of a few sort of fairly primitive people living, uh, eking out their living without no idea of God. Israel had much knowledge of God. But now we have a situation where London's a great city, but also without the knowledge of God. And God's saying to us here, also at the ends of the earth, if we want to have peace with God, we've got to have it through faithfulness to God, through Jesus the Messiah, and through keeping his commandments. And so he says, depart, depart, verse 11, go out from thence, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Babylon is a symbol, if you like, of the world in rebellion against God. Babel, it's in Hebrew. Tower of Babel is the same word. A place of false religion, a place of pride, of arrogance, and of captivity. <coughs> and God says, come out. New Testament, you're the words saying, come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of the spirit of the world, the spirit of the world in rebellion against God. Don't touch the unclean things. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. So as we go out from Babylon, so we're called to be clean and to worship the Lord and to bear the vessels of the Lord, vessels of the Lord. It may be that they were actually carrying back some of the vessels which were taken uh, from Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon and returned to the people. But you should be clean as you carry these vessels. And God wants us to be clean as we carry in our lives the vessels of the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the gospel. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, it says, 
In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee useful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a call to live a new life. We're going to bear the vessels of the Lord, a life which will be turning from the bad things which we may have been involved in before to the new life we have in Jesus the Messiah. And finally, you have this verse which says, the Lord will go before you. You won't go out by flight. You won't go out in haste, but the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. It's a very uh, descriptive verse that. It's saying that God's going to go before you and he's going to be behind you. So that's kind of comforting, isn't it? If you're going to be traveling... Uh, and one of the things which the people of Israel may have been afraid of is as they're going back from Babylon to Jerusalem, they're going to have to go through hostile places. Is the Lord going to protect them as they go on their journey? And if you look in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, it says, and Ezra was bringing the people back from Babylon, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him from him the right way for us and for our little ones and all our possessions, for I was ashamed to request of the king an, exhort, an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and wrath are against those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Kind of nice little detail there. Uh, he didn't take protection from the king's army, but he said he was going to be protected by the Lord committed his way to the Lord. And God wants us to commit our way to the Lord and know that he's going to go before us, go behind us, and keep us and protect us in the way. And Israel today needs that protection as well. If you go back to the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites were in fact at that point of standing before the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming up behind them and the Red Sea was in front of them, in verse 19, it says, The angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was darkness, cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. But notice that the Lord was before them, then he went behind them, and he was protecting them. So God is going before us and going behind us. And as we go through this world, which is full of all sorts of nasty things and all sorts of nasty people and nasty demons and whatever, if we trust in the Lord, he's going to go before us and go behind us and keep us in the way. So the call to us is to depart from Babylon, to walk in his ways and to do his will and to know that the Lord is with us and he won't forsake us. And in Matthew 28, verse I finished with last this morning, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, uh, and I'm with you, all, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. God tells us that if we go in his name, he's going to be with us always, and he won't forsake us, be with us even to the end of the age. Ultimately, we will lose our lives to death, or we may lose our lives to persecution or whatever, but whatever we go through, God is with us, 
and he's able to protect us and teach us and go the way that he wants us to go. And it goes through Yeshua. Now, I'm not going to... Well, I will read just a little bit of Isaiah 53 because Isaiah 53 is where it's all leading up to. Can you see this passage in 52 is actually preparing them for the revelation of the one who really is the Redeemer, who is the Redeemer in Jesus the Messiah. And if you haven't read Isaiah 53 before, it's one of the most remarkable chapters in the Hebrew Scriptures. Read Isaiah 53 to unbelieving Jewish people, and they say, you must be reading from the New Testament. No, we're reading from your prophet, from Isaiah 53. Written some 700 years before Jesus came. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, what had not been told them they shall see, what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the most iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, so he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he has put him to grief. When you see his soul, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and divide his, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Who could that be about? Only one person, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. One of the most remarkable prophecies in the Bible, in fact, in the world. A prophecy which gives you details of what Jesus did for us when he died for us on the cross, when he took the punishment for our sin and was buried and rose again from the dead. To see the travail of his soul, to see what he'd been through and be satisfied because he saw it was worth it, because he saw that people like you and me had been redeemed through the blood that he shed. And therefore it was worth all that pain, all that agony of having the sin of the world placed upon him so that you and I could be redeemed and become sons and daughters of the living God. And I hope you are rejoicing in that position whatever you feel about life in general rejoice that you are saved through the blood of jesus that you have an eternal life which has been given to you through faith in jesus and that he is the redeemer he's the creator he's the redeemer and he's the one who is ultimately going to judge the world in righteousness according to this word according to the bible 
And he is the one who's paid the price for the sin of the world and has redeemed us through his precious blood. So we give thanks to the Lord and praise his name. And next time I speak on Isaiah, which will probably be the beginning of December, we will actually look at Isaiah 53. And I might even try to invite some Jewish people along to see that if they can uh, see the point. So I pray that we can get this message out to Jewish people. We do have a leaflet, by the way, which is called uh, uh, about the Messiah. It's, I can't remember the title. Was it What the Messiah Do? Yeah, What's the Messiah Supposed to Do? Which gives you some ideas about Isaiah 53 and uh, Jewish conceptions of the Messiah. It's on the table, so if you want to take some and give to any Jewish people you meet, that'd be good. Let's just have a word of prayer and give thanks to the Lord for Yeshua and for our redemption. Lord, we do thank you for this great passage of scripture which we've read. We thank you for the prophet Isaiah who saw so many wonderful things which you revealed to him by the Holy Spirit and which have been fulfilled in our Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. We thank you for the redemption which we have in him. Thank you that you did bring the Jewish people back from Babylon. You did plant them in the land. Even more, we thank you that you brought us out of the captivity of Satan into the glorious light of the kingdom of God. And we thank you this is all by grace, by faith in what Jesus has done for us at the cross. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.